This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcats? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. Now, most VCs that we've had on the show typically only invest in energy. Our buddy Mark Friday from Cathexas Ventures joins us on the show this week to talk about how they have deep energy roots, investing in energy startups, as well as a lot of the off-the-wall stuff that they're interested in as well. So uh, it's the first time recording in our new studio. We really enjoyed it. We got really burnt out on doing a remote, if I'm being honest. Uh, just not quite the same. So back to the back to the fun in-person stuff. Before we get into this episode, let's take two minutes and jump into our TPH Energy Insight of the Week. Our buddies over at Datagration have acquired Mosaic Petroleum Analytics, a data analytics reservoir simulation and economics platform designed to optimize unconventional reservoirs. Yes, yeah, a good timing too, because Datagration is going to be our next podcast sponsor. They are here pretty pretty soon. So. You guys are going to be very familiar with Datagration over the next six months. <laughs> so congratulations to those guys. I think that you know we talk about M and A and the oil and gas industry among CMPs all the time, but I think that M and A and consolidation across tech companies is beneficial for a lot of people too. So, congrats to both of these teams on make something happen. We're excited to see what they do with it. I think this is the first of many. I think we're seeing a lot more consolidation, like you said, on the tech side. So, congrats to these guys. Let's get right into the episode. What's up, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Gas Startups Podcast. We're in the new studio. We had our, you know, I don't know when you guys are listening to this, but if you listen to it uh, in early 21, we just had the world's greatest party in oil and gas, our EFT party. At least the best party of the last year, which is pretty low bar with COVID. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> low bar, but we had some great beer, the beer and pizza and a whole bunch of people flew in. Yeah. That was like one of the coolest times of just being able to get together and be around people and have conversations. Oh, that's pretty funny. You had people flying in on the private jet to get here. You had useless Lamborghini outside the front doors. <laughs> <laughs> High rolling party. Guys. So if you're not on, if you're not on EFT on Twitter, just go follow us and look at the people that we're interacting with and that entire, uh, that entire little community on there. So it's a bunch of good people. Um, Anyways, we're the reason I'm saying is that is because we're both like dead tired because we got any sleep was up to like three o'clock in the morning. But we've got our good buddy Mark Friday here with is it just Cathexis or Cathexis Ventures? Cathexis Ventures. Cathexis, Cathexis Ventures. Ventures. So obviously, venture fund. Why don't uh, you tell us, you know, high level, you guys really operate as a family office, right? Why don't you tell us a little right, bit about right. how, what you guys are and what you do? Uh, yeah, Cathexis Ventures is the venture arm of Cathexis Holdings, and Cathexis Holdings is a family office. Um, two family members, they're young, in their early 30s. Um, we've got Nikki Aslami, who's self-made in the e-commerce space. She started a beauty products company, uh, scaled it to be very successful because she's in with, uh, let's say, some some of the original influencers before influencer marketing was such a common thing. Um, I'm trying to think of like all... who those people were, <laughs> you know. We, I'm not supposed to name drop, but you know, <laughs> she's, she's got an interesting network, celebrities. Um, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, and then she did all that before she met William. William comes from a successful family in real estate and energy markets, and being a pretty young guy, he looked to diversify into uh, various other things. So we do private equity. We do some some real estate that's 
a little bit different than buying land just for mineral rights, you know, a yeah. little bit of <laughs> other real estate because there's many kinds. And, uh, and then more recently, venture capital. And that's, that's my role. So all day, every day, I'm talking to seed stage companies, really early stage businesses. Maybe it's one person, usually a couple of founders. Maybe they've got some employees, but they're very early businesses. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun because we can talk to pretty much anybody who's at that stage. We're sector agnostic. We're geography agnostic. We are based in Houston. You know, we have an office in Houston, um, but we've always thought, like, why not just look at any uh, entrepreneur that can get in front of us and, mm -hmm. and, you know, look at them as an individual, look at their team, look at their company and like, who cares what city they're in? If, yeah. if we're able to be in front of them and, uh, and, you know, get pitched by them, we don't want to turn anybody away just because they're in the wrong zip code or, uh, they're the wrong, you know, type of founder or something like that. You know, yeah, I've always uh, thought so it's super goofy to have a thesis to where it's, um, you know, you have it geofenced by geography because you'd be pretty ignorant to think that, you know, all the best ideas and founders are coming from, you know, and people can make the argument for Silicon Valley, which is a fair argument. But with the way the world is today, especially with COVID, you know, a lot of things are starting to become a lot more distributed. You have founders dispersing all over the United States, all over the world. And you have people raising capital from, you know, like you had a call here in the office right before we recorded the podcast. I don't know where that founder was, but I doubt he was in Houston. But you guys are able to hop on a video call. He can demo his product and doesn't matter where he's at in the world. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that right now with how things have been during COVID? I think you told me the other day, at, we had a, a dinner the other night, and I think you told me that you guys have been making a lot of placements um, just off of Zoom calls. How has that process yeah. been over the last year? <laughs> well, we were, um, we've been doing investments just off of Zoom calls without meeting in person, even before COVID-19, because sometimes, you know, round is filling fast and founders have options. And so you only get one or two meetings with them and then you got to make a decision or it's just gone. Wasn't this and, the case uh, with Geosite? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, uh, we look at companies that are in that situation um, fairly often. Um, we try not to get caught up in the hype. We're like, oh, I hear, I hear Sequoias, you know, taking a look at them. So, you know, that'll cause everybody to rush yeah. over. We still try and be very much just what do we think of the business, not, not trying to chase, you know, the mega VCs around and, and you know, um, and, and follow the trends that they might be seeing. Um, but yeah, you know, investing in someone just through a Zoom call, I think it's a little different than in person. But at the same time, these are people that now have to run their companies in an increasingly remote world. They have to pitch their customers in an increasingly remote world. And so how, how you perform in that little mm -hmm. video box with occasional lag and uh, with, you know, readily available screen share um, is how they're going to be conducting themselves a lot of the time. And I think if they can impress in that environment, then that's still a pretty meaningful skill set. Yeah. Um, we'd all love to get to know founders for longer periods of time, but when you know, when you were raising a million dollar round as a founder and you're filling it up with some hundred K or 250 K checks, which is kind of like our typical check size, first check in, um, it's, it's not really worth it for them to spend it's time like intensive dozens of hours with me, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I love to spend time with founders, but you know, usually we're going to, you know, grab a burger or a beer or something like that and <laughs> catch up and talk about how the company's doing and yeah. you know, how their families are doing and friends and all that. Yeah. Um, so, so obviously yeah. you, you said you're, you're industry agnostic, you know, you guys are trying to come in early stage. Are there any areas that you guys are like particularly excited about? Maybe you've made, you know, more investments in one area than another, like recently. Hmm. You know, it seems to come in bunches. You know, we, we like did a couple consumer product companies, like consumer packaged goods, mm-hmm. D2C, and then we hadn't done any for a while. And then now it looks like we're about to do two of those. Uh, so it, it really is, you know, we're pretty agnostic and um, I think the it's DDC evaluated space case is, by case. I think it's great. I think there's been a bunch of really good case studies that have, it, it's worked well. I'm worried, does it get a little bit too played out? I don't know. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I studied uh, macroeconomics and just economics in general mm-hmm. in college a little bit. I, my degree is in electrical engineering, but I did econ because it's fascinating and I love trying to like fit equations to the, you know, the world and, and all that. Um, so I really loved econ classes and, and I was probably better at those in the engineering classes, to be honest. But after, you know, following the stock market and following public companies and, and, you know, trying to predict the future on all these different things. I think if I'm, if I'm being honest with myself, I just, I don't have very many strong convictions about what the future will hold. I'm really looking at the startup founder in a box on zoom now, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, and kind of judging them as an individual and their individual idea and I'm really paying attention to like, what have they done in the last six months and what are they going to do in the next six months? Um, because if they don't hit those milestones and I don't really buy progress that they've made over the last six months, and I don't really buy what they'll be able to accomplish in the next six, then, you know, the probability they're going to get to that series A round um, changes dramatically. So I'm, I'm really kind of looking at them in a window in time and um, not thinking too much about big, broad trends because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of VCs, of course, are sector specific uh, or stage specific. And you can find VCs that have raised money that have had success and they might completely dith- disagree with each other. Oh, you know, direct to consumer CPG is, is a terrible investment because it's all overpriced or, oh no, that's the, that's the opportunity. Like it's, it's way undervalued. We can, there's arbitrage opportunity there. Um, so I'm really... I think seed stage investing is about betting on the founders as much as anything else. Um, we do want to see some traction. We want to see customers fast growth rate and, and that kind of stuff. But uh, for that reason, and because they might end up pivoting, um, we just say, hey, you know, we like where this company's at right now in this point in time. Uh, this is risky in early stage investing. It's, it's got some inherent risk to it. Let's Let's take a chance on them because we like them and we like what their company's doing and we like where it can go. Yeah, it's interesting in the direct-to-consumer space because I saw someone tweet the other day that there actually hasn't been that many unicorns in the DTC space, I think like 30, which I think you can build great brands and companies with that model. But have you know when you guys look at, and I know this from experience raising capital for digital wildcatters, but really, you know, if you're looking at like a company like Digital Wildcatters, which is a pure play media company that doesn't necessarily fit a VC model, maybe doesn't have the scale and the growth trajectory doesn't match what a VC is looking for. You know, do you take that into consideration And you're looking at, you know, industry 
agnostic. So how do you kind of toggle in between that when you're looking at a DTC company? You know, like I think you guys have invested in a like some type of like um, spandex type yeah, company, yeah. right? Shape, yeah, shapewear, uh, shapewear. Honey Love. So yeah. there's there's Skims, which is like Kardashians. My wife's got uh, some of those, man. Those things look good. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, Honey Love is great. So there, you know, there there's some differences to these products, and and I know more about shapewear today than I ever thought I would. Do you uh, own any shapewear? So, so like, yeah, but so that you don't have any shapewear on. Okay. Uh, but there's, there's the, the contrast. So it's like, so you got this, you know, the shapewear company and then you also have an investment in Geosite. Yeah. The very which, next call is a software company. Yeah. How do you go from shapewear <laughs> to geospatial software? Yeah. So how do you literally, you know, five minutes, one call ends and the next begins, right? Yeah. yeah. And I know, I know you made a comment that you don't think, you know, too much on a macro level about the industry or the market. You guys are really just kind of taking lottery tickets on a founder, you know, really, you know, if you believe oh, in I the founder. I think definitely with, ability. like, we know Rachel and we know, you know, obviously she's one of y'all's founders as well. Like, the, yeah. I think mm -hmm. that is the trend there. Yeah. It, it seems like you guys are betting more on the founders, possibly even more than the idea most of the time. Considering yeah, yeah. Like what you said about them, oh, they may just pivot anyways, right? Yeah. And and we've passed on some founders um, because they hadn't launched yet. They were just a little too early and, and we really like to see some traction. Yeah. Um, before we invest gives us some level of comfort, especially if it's like a capital efficient business model. Like, oh, you've already raised a couple hundred K friends and family. You claimed it's a capital efficient business model. Why haven't you like got a product out there and, you know, got some metrics that we can look at yet? Um, yeah. So we usually wait for that stage. But now as, you know, as the years have gone by and I've seen those founders that we passed on where I was like, gosh, I wanted to invest in them, but they just didn't have the data yet. Yeah. And now they tend to circle back and they're like, Hey, by the way, we're doing really well. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, cause they'll find a way. Cause they're just like, I don't know. They just have, yeah. it. you know, they're, they're magnetic. They have phenomenal communication skills. They know the numbers backwards and forwards. It's like a checklist of like a thousand little things that, you know, it's kind of cliche to, to run through what they all are and you don't have to check every box, but you should check most of them. And yeah. And you just talk to a lot of companies and, and move quickly when you have to. And we say no to almost every, I mean, we still only invest in like one out of 50 that we actually talk to. Yeah. But, um, you know, sometimes those, those no's will come back a year later and say, Hey, check us out now. And we're like, <laughs> dang it. You know, you were a great founder. We should have jumped in. And, and actually, that's, uh, you know, we talked that's about the founder victory lap, <laughs> yes, <coming and> back. <laughs> but fortunately some of them, they're just too early for us. And then we can jump in, you know, the next yeah. round. So, uh, you know, you mentioned honey love our, our shapewear company and we've got, uh, another company, uh, that, that we had been looking at called Disco. It's uh, based in Austin and it's like a men's skincare product company. And their CEO, Ben, is a really sharp guy, really impressed me. It was like literally fits the exact kind of narrative I just gave of like we passed on someone and I was like, but I wanted to invest in that founder. <laughs> uh, so he hadn't launched yet when we first talked to him. And now, you know, lo and behold, uh, let's just say their month over month growth rate is pretty eye-poppingly good and their margins are awesome and there's like all their little metrics of what a CPG company uh, you know, what you would want to see are, are just fantastic. So they're going to have no problem raising money yeah. and, uh, no problem scaling this year. So we're very excited about that. And, and, uh, we just committed to invest in them, uh, yesterday, technically, I guess today, but you know, we awesome. gave them the verbal yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, so it happens. 
you know, you guys are based out of Houston. Um, you know, heavy VC hub of the world. Yeah, Houston, VC, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> you know, heavy um, background and influence internally from Texas. You know, I think there is it's Texas oil and gas, right? Like that is Texas oil and gas. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then Texas Holdings, and we've got we just like I mentioned earlier, you know, private equity, real estate. We got a, a lot of involvements in a lot of things, and then yeah, Nikki and and her background. You, yeah, you know, you can bet we have some involvement on the consumer side. Absolutely. Um, yeah. As well. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think we've mentioned Geosite and if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with Geosite, uh, Rachel was on just a few weeks ago. Um, she's been on the podcast twice. Um, really cool platform that's being used both in oil and gas and in, uh, military and department of defense applications. You guys have one more company that's in oil and gas, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah. So Validir, yeah, is uh, we found both of them through Y Combinator. Yeah, validator has been talking to us. Yeah, yeah, we were talking, <laughs> oh, yeah? We were talking yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah, we're actually gonna have them on the show, so you might do yeah. some work with them as well. Yeah, so. oh, sweet. <laughs> well, yeah, they um, didn't know that. <laughs> that was that was another one. We first saw them there a little too early for us, and then word got around town. Uh, some other family offices and investors were had had spent just a little bit more time and talked to some of Validir's customers, and all of that was rave reviews. And so we circled back and instead had to, uh, you know, reach out to them and say, hey, you know, please let us send you around. Or just, <laughs> we're like, we're those, we're those idiots who you talked to six months ago who said no, remember us? And they were kind enough to, uh, you know, let us, let us still jump in. Um, but yeah, they, um, they're doing really well. That's awesome. And, yeah. and we should have some great news out of Geosite uh, soon Good. too. So Awesome. Yeah. I mean, both of them are excited for what 2021 may hold. And I think, you know, Validir is based in Canada and Geosite's based in the Bay Area. But as they scale, they're going to be adding people in Houston. And that's kind of been my whole thing about Houston VC. Like, how do we get this going? Yeah. Well, in my opinion, the best way to get Houston VC going or Houston startup ecosystem going is to build bridges to other cities. Yeah. Because we have a massive customer base here. What we just don't have is an early adopter culture, yep. right? The big incumbent players in oil and gas sector haven't really needed to embrace technology as much. And now they, they probably will a little bit more. The medical sector is now being disrupted. I mean, everything's getting disrupted by all this software. Software is eating the world. And maybe they've been just a little bit slower uh, on the uptake, but but we've got massive customers here. I think that's what TMCX, Texas Medical Center mm -hmm. Accelerator, has done such a good job of. That's why they have an accelerator that, is now, you know, everybody really respects that. And that's because yeah. they offer access to customers that are based in Houston. And it's that access to these big customers that people will <laughs> move bodies yeah. for and be <laughs> local for. Um, everything else is just kind of like, well, you know, we'd love to get the startup ecosystem going, but like, uh, it's, it's going to be hard to win the battles with, with other cities that have just, you know, decades of head start. So why even try? Let's just Let's, you know, embrace what we've got as a resource. And we've got a massive economy with huge customers here, Fortune 100, Fortune 500, right? Yeah. Let's do that. Do you feel like there's like <laughs> a lack of like maybe leadership in the Houston VC community to actually take the initiative and get people? I just feel like it's, there's a lot of VCs here and nobody talks. At least that's my kind of impression. Wow. Are there like events that you guys go to and then like mingle <laughs> and hang out? Is it like a community or is it literally just... Hey, we're, we're all in the same city, but there's not really a, a community around that because I feel like that's kind of important 
to the bigger mission really in my eyes of making Houston a tech hub, you mm-hmm. know, and I think it's possible and I think we have all the right pieces. I just think they're all over the city and they're not really talking or connecting. Yeah. I think we have, Houston has quite a sprawl, you know, Yeah, people don't, uh, people who, who may be listening, you know, from other states or cities, you know, Houston is very spread out. We got a lot of land. All the cities in Texas are blessed with a <laughs> lot of land to keep expanding out into. Um, but that means that you don't get people under the same roof as often as you might like. Uh, startups can be dotted throughout the city. And so there's not just like some little part of town that has, um, you know, kind of a micro tech ecosystem going. Mm-hmm. Um, the VCs in Houston, uh, a lot of them focus on, since they're looking to lead rounds usually and, and you know, take board seats and so forth. They've got to compete then with VCs across the country. Uh, they're more so like looking Series A and stuff like that. And and if you've got to compete for those kinds of companies, I think it, at that point it kind of does make sense to focus more on what's in your backyard. And you know, if we were writing multi-million dollar checks into all these companies, we would probably take more than a, a couple hours talking to them. We would invest in in fewer companies. Uh, and we would want them to be closer by probably, mm-hmm. but the way we do it is a little different. We invest smaller checks into more companies and we just churn through companies probably quite a bit faster. You know, we, yeah. we talk to a lot. Um, but so I can understand their strategy. It's, you know, geographic based. They're looking at companies that are in Houston or in Texas. And most of the VCs in Texas will say like, we only invest in Texas companies. Maybe, you know, we'll look at like Oklahoma and Louisiana a little bit, um, but it's very like regional driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hey, you know, they're on some of them, they're on their, you know, second, third, fourth fund. So they got to be doing something right. Yeah. Um, but, but for us, when I was first starting off and I was like, well, I want to talk to like a thousand CEOs a year uh, over the phone or in person or however, you know, spend an hour with a thousand CEOs, you know, every year. Um, I, I started off in Houston and I like pretty quickly, I was like, I, I'm running out of companies to talk to, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's dozens that you can talk to, but like, there's only so many that are at a stage where we like might be close to considering investment. So I was like, like, how do you typically source them? I mean, is it, are you you just just Googling them or they're like inbound? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's, uh, there's accelerators and incubators. And so they bundle them together nicely. And you can like, if you're an investor and you just want to, I mean, it's not, it's not that hard. It's just kind of like a little bit of legwork, a little bit of hustle. Like you just call them and you're like, Hey, I know it's not demo day yet, but I want to talk to all your companies. Uh, some accelerators are a little bit more exclusive, like, uh, mm-hmm. like Y Combinator where yeah. we found, you know, Rachel with Geosite and all mm-hmm. that. Uh, Validir also went through Y Combinator, although we didn't, we found them just a little bit after YC. And, um, you know, so for YC, it's a little bit of a guarded list of like who's in the program and, and that kind of stuff. But yeah. I applied to YC you know. once, <laughs> my first startup. Yeah. Like it's, it's tough get, to, get it's in. like harder to get into YC than, than Harvard, just on like a percentage yeah. you know basis. It's, uh, it's a very exclusive thing, but Hey, they've, uh, you know, Airbnb, Dropbox, yeah. uh, DoorDash, Stripe, like yeah. we can just keep going down to yeah. like 10 billion plus valuation companies. Yeah, they, one it. of them comes out like every batch pretty much. Yeah. You just, you don't know which one is going to be. We were lucky enough to grab one of them, uh, 
our very first YC that we went to. That's uh, <laughs> it's one of the fastest unicorns, uh, and so that was cool. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> you're like, wow, this is, this is a good, decent start. Like this is easy. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we found a couple that also you know went to zero, but that's that's seed stage investing. That's why you want to invest in in you know a good number of companies and kind of um, distribute that risk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like how does deal flow come in? People will people will kind of cold outreach now that we've got a website, not the greatest website in the world, but at least it tells them like, Hey, message me on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, cause it's, it's LinkedIn is just the best. It's like the best tool. Um, so they'll, they'll message me on LinkedIn and then I can like kind of check out their profile and their website and see if like it's worth it for a meeting. Um, and then people will send me stuff. So like the real way that we generate deal flow, and this is why we decided to do like small checks in more companies and just meet with as many as possible is like, I'm sitting down in Houston I don't have a background in VC. It's like day one on the job and I'm like charged with getting like venture investing going at Texas. And, uh, I'm like, okay, well, who's going to send me good deals? Nobody, <laughs> nobody. So what can I do? I need to go just meet with as many companies as I can possibly handle. And when I find something good, I'll share it with other investors that I meet along the way. And then some of those other investors will reciprocate. And others won't because some people want to play it close to the vest. And I totally get that too. But uh, at the seed stage where refocus, it's usually a round that's filled with a good number of investors. You know, it's pretty collaborative. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's get so-and-so to jump in because, you know, they'll be strategic on this thing or they might be able to write a big check in the next round. Um, so, you know, those seed stage rounds, you can, you can get into a good number of interesting ones and there's, and it's just so collaborative that like just by going and meeting with all these companies, you're generating deal flow for other people and they, they reciprocate and bring it back to you. And so it just kind of snowballs from there. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we've been doing. And so some people send us some stuff uh, for things in the Bay Area. I usually need to just go direct. I need to go meet with those companies myself because why would someone send, you know, Bay Area deals to a random guy in Houston that they haven't heard of before when yeah. they know their friends that have been doing this for 20 years. Yeah. So I just need to go meet with those founders directly. And Y Combinator is a very good way to do that. It's, you know, there's tons of people that look at Y Combinator companies. There's very few that are willing or able to move fast enough to invest in them around the demo day timeframe. Yeah. And it's, cons I mean, I think pretty much 99% of the people in Texas who do VC investing, like they hear Y Combinator and they roll their eyes. Mm -hmm. And that's an area where I disagree with them, obviously, since like yeah. quite a big percentage of our investments are in Y Combinator companies. Yeah. Uh, it is possible if you yeah. go directly to the companies to talk to some really interesting founders. Uh, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Well Database. Now, one year ago, Well Database released their light plan, meaning free data for everyone. Since then, they've added over 2,000 new users in 2020 and have quickly become the go-to data provider for people needing quick and affordable access to data. Now, once again, they're going where the competition can't by releasing their new enterprise plan. So here's a quick rundown on that. As an enterprise customer, you'll have unlimited access to their entire data set through their portal, their API integration, and cloud databases hosted on AWS, Azure, and Snowflake. So you basically get the data however you need it. 
People who've switched to Wall Database Enterprise have saved 50% on average, and in times like these, that adds up. You know what that means? That means more people in jobs, which is exactly what we want to see. So go check the guys over Wall Database out at walldatabase.com and tell them we sent you. So, you know, you brought up a good point, kind of creating these bridges between cities, between Houston, you know, whether it's Austin, San Francisco, you know, cities up in Canada, you know, Montreal, wherever it is. And I think that's a really good point. You know, a lot of people talk about why has the ecosystem not been cultivated in Houston. I think there's several different reasons. One, I think it's because you don't have the, the liquidity waterfalls that Silicon Valley has where, you know, you have billion dollar IPOs and, you know, you made, Trickles down to the yeah, you made a hundred millionaires and they're starting to place checks. And so mm-hmm. you don't really have that. Like the wealth that's here in Houston is traditionally more old, old school money and they're not making um, early stage seed investments, right? So I think that that's one reason um, that it's hard to get startups off the ground here. Um, honestly, like I, like Cathexis, you know, you guys are early stage fund and there's really, like if I think off the top of my head, there's just not a whole lot of quote unquote early stage um, funds here in Houston yeah, or seed's large not really angel a word investors. That's used that, a whole lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Houston for the most part. And so, and it's actually funny cause I was, you know, I was eavesdropping on your call, um, with that other founder. And when you said that you're a seed investor, he's like define seed because that's different. You know, everyone's definition of seed is different and early stage is different. You know, you see companies like clubhouse get a hundred million dollar valuation based on a deck, you know, they haven't even made an MVP yet. And I see that and I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's just insane <laughs> in my mind. Um, I don't Especially think, you I don't, clubhouse. yeah, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think you guys are that early. Like you said, you like to see a little bit of traction, you know, some product yeah. development, things I like that. I think we would have missed Clubhouse, but we're also now Andreessen Horowitz and able to pull that off, you know? Yeah. They can, <laughs> like, I'm, uh, I know some people that are on it and it's a very engaging product and it's a product that I, obviously I didn't think of like exactly how they do it, but like as this whole pandemic was unfolding, I was like, you know, Zoom calls are just too rigid. Like you got to send an invite and it's at the set time. And oh, sorry, I'm five minutes late. I was like, it would be cool if there was something like this where you could just kind of pop in, pop out. It's more free flowing, coming and going. And uh, yeah. and then like two days later, I had that that conversation actually with JR, who's like a, a well-known guy, you know, stationed Houston, a well-known guy in startup circles in, in, in Houston, right? Yeah. And then like two days later, the clubhouse news broke. And I was just like, aha, like, yeah, of course is. there's someone working on this idea <laughs> for much longer than my, you know, s- stupid conversation, yeah. you know, with JR. So, um, you know, they, they could be successful and, and maybe they will, maybe they won't, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, apparently that one's doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we'll see how we'll it see. goes. It's but yeah, a hundred million dollar yeah. valuation seed round is, it's certainly eye-popping news. $100 million uh, and, but the that's fa- probably and the what founders, they wanted, yeah, you know? and the founders took money off the table too. I was like, geez, need a yeah, yeah. capital raise like well, that. Well, if they're going to be at that kind of valuation, they got to have, you don't want them eating ramen too much because they're going to be, they're going to need to meet <laughs> with some pretty high level people. Yeah. And, uh, especially <laughs> sure. like a social app like that, you know, you got to, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't mind founders taking, taking something off the table, like, and, and doing well for themselves as, as long as you're going to stay motivated. And, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think, I think it can help, but you know. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, this is kind of veering off left field and not, you know, specific to you guys, but um, I was actually involved in a conversation the other day with one of the founders of Morning Brew and 
he was talking about a mistake that a lot of founders make is not paying themselves enough. And it is a problem that founders deal with is when they're creating their performance and raising capital is I think you just get so used to being broke, you know, <laughs> you just don't know anything else. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. at the same time as an investor, you don't want them struggling and not focusing on the business. Right. So, um, you know, is that something you guys pay attention to at the seed stage where, you know, you're really strict on use of funds and capital allocation and questioning, oh, you know, you're a founder and you're paying yourself this much. Is that something that you guys really look over very closely? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny because as I was looking at Houston startups, you would have people, and this is, this is like kind of a weird, it's the opposite of what you would expect. Um, we're looking at Houston startups and there's some like PhD brilliant people that are leaving the oil and gas industry and taking this enormous risk to go start a startup, but they're raising capital and in their, you know, pro forma in their financial projections, it shows that they're going to pay themselves 150K, 200K, maybe 250K a year. Um, and I get it that it's risky to do a startup, but it's, it's less risky if you're using invested capital to pay mm -hmm. yourself 250k a year salary and then you go to look at some San Francisco startups and the cost of living is like twice that of Houston mm -hmm. in the bay area and they're paying themselves 60k a year mm -hmm. and it goes back to your point earlier like a lot of the reason why there aren't as many startups in places like Houston or you know Jacksonville Florida or name you know name some random city is because we don't have that that success story that people know by one or two degrees of separation. You're not mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, so-and-so, they did that startup and now they have tens of millions of dollars and so do all their friends that started it with them. Like everyone in the Bay Area knows a bunch of people like that. Yeah. So they're willing to take this risk and failure is acceptable there. Starting a startup is not something crazy that everyone would like roll their eyes at. It's just, it's just what people do. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like you're foregoing you know, there's say it's a one in three chance that your startup will work out and you'll make some money on it. Well, you're going to forego, uh, you know, a salary this year and next year, but you know, when it hits, you're going to get several million dollars. And so maybe you end up making the same amount of money over a 10 year period, Yeah. but in one of them it's coming in bursts and you know, yeah. you're doing the, the startup thing. Uh, and in the other, you've got a nice, uh, conservative salary. And the, but then there's always the, the upside that maybe you become the next, you know, Bezos or, or Musk or, or Zuck and mm -hmm. uh, make more than just a few million dollars yeah. for yourself. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, that's pretty cool. And, and they deserve it because they took the risk and they worked their tails off. I think that's so. also, you brought up an interesting point though. You know, say that you have a PhD that's been in, you know, let's just say oil and gas for 10 to 15 years. And I mean, I see this all the time. You're leaving a good job you know, a job that probably pays you 200,000 quarter million dollars a year. And then you go to run a startup and you have that same amount of money allocated to yourself. And um, also in a city like Houston, not to cut you off, but just to add on to like Houston is like the founder persona on average is different than what you would see in the Bay area. I yeah. That's, the, that's what I was about to say because just so much younger. Yeah. So you have, you know, maybe young mid 20 year olds out in the Bay area, you know, just hacking away, building startups and enterprise software those aren't usually the cats that are building the best products, right? It's someone that has 10 to 15 years of domain expertise, understands an industry and the problems that it deals with. Probably has and three then, or five kids. Yeah, probably you has know? three or five kids. And, but it, and it really does, st like, 
it suppresses innovation because it is such a huge risk for them to, you know, leave their salary in to go take that, that yeah. chance in doing something. Um, I mean, shit, we know this, you know, as well as anyone. So, um, that's kind of an interesting dynamic that I didn't think about before. I mean, we're hypersensitive to that conversation when raising capital. It's like, Hey, we need enough to put food on the table for our family, but also, you know, it's, it's enough to survive and, and nothing more. We're looking for our payout, you know, yeah. someday. So I think that founders need to be cognizant of that, you know, and you know, like the hard truth is, is like, look, if you can't make the sacrifice to take that pay cut, then not everyone's meant to be a founder or yep. has the circumstances to do it. So that's kind of a hard truth, but yep. it is, it is really tough. Um, I, I mean, the salaries go up as you move through the stages, you know, you get to seed, you get to series A, yeah. then you, you take more. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe you can sell some of your equity as those rounds come about. Cause like people are always trying to you know, <laughs> get in the I round. Mean, yeah. You're getting diluted and, and you know, it just makes sense. Yeah. And, and so there are opportunities to do that. Cause I mean, by the time you get to series a, your company is going to be worth like, you know, 15 million post money or, or mm -hmm. 30 or. If it's a uh, clubhouse, maybe 500, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, you can, you can take a, a, a sliver of that and, um, and that's great. Um, I just, yeah, we have a problem with it when people, like you kind of want the entrepreneurs to be taking that risk and, and be really motivated to work yeah. <laughs> really hard on this thing. Cause it's really hard to succeed at these things, uh, yeah. uh, you know, get a startup going. So I think uh, you almost, you kind of want a founder to be that batshit crazy that they're willing to <laughs> eat yeah. shit and eat ramen, you know, to make it, uh, to make it happen. Get to get to ramen profitable. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's, um, it's something where it, it's definitely, we look at it as a negative if they're paying themselves too much when it's like, literally, it's like their seed round. Yeah. And we're just like, sorry. Uh, it's just, it's yeah. just like, and you can, I don't know, at least in, in my experience, looking at a few thousand startups in those Excel spreadsheets, like when they wanting to pay themselves that much, then uh, yeah. I don't know. In my experience, they don't, they have more trouble raising the money and it's, yeah. and they are like, Oh, well, if you want the best management team with 20 years of experience, blah, blah, blah. Um, then, then, you know, it, that costs money. Well, a counter argument to that is, is like, I don't necessarily know if people that have been in large, large corporations for decades are the best people to start a startup because when you're in a large corporation, you're interacting with and working with dozens of people when you're at a startup, it's like you and like two or three other people yeah. like, Oh, I have to do everything myself. Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, just, a, it's different. You it's have to have accountability you know? because this is actually, you know, when we were hiring, um, at our last company, I was picking off engineers from the major corporations. And I mean, some of them were blunt. They're like, look, man, I've got a pretty good gig here. Like yeah. they don't care if I do anything. <laughs> like it just kind of coasts, make good money. And you come over to a startup, you know, you're a four or five person team and you got to pull your weight plus some. Mm -hmm. So that's um, always something to look forward to when building teams. It's tough. The, I think maybe the most important thing that a founder really does, if you're putting it into one word, is recruit. Mm -hmm. You got to recruit investors. 
true, but like you really got to recruit and inspire. But what are the really skills you need? People. What are the skills you need to inspire? It's really, <laughs> it's selling, isn't it? I mean, you have to sell people on your idea. You have to sell your family on your idea that you're not batshit crazy at, at Thanksgiving. My family still doesn't know what I fucking do. <laughs> they have like they, they don't, just completely don't understand it, you know. But then also being able to sell the product. I mean. I think everything's really distilled, honestly, down to like storytelling and your ability yes. to persuade somebody to do something or feel a certain way. It's 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 so true. When I you know mentioned like what is a good founder that we might want to invest earlier, like uh, if if I'm on the call and these are thirty to sixty minute calls, quite often, usually sixty minutes. If I'm ever like kind of bored and like reaching for my phone, like, Oh, I wonder if I got an email or, or like, uh, you know, when I'm at multiple monitors, like I have my email right there on the other <laughs> yeah. screen. If I'm like glancing over at that, it's not a good sign. You know, yeah. they should be a great storyteller. They should be very captivating when you speak to them. But then the crazy thing about these founders is, and why they're so much more impressive than I will ever be. Even the ones we pass on, by the way, if we've passed on you, I'm sorry. You're still better than I am. Uh, <laughs> like, not only are they captivating storytellers, great communicators, but then they have highly technical skill set as well. They're like, oh, yeah, and, you know, I studied, you know, engineering at MIT or whatever. I'm just like, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and you're better at speaking than I am. Yeah. Like, these people are out there. And uh, <laughs> we want to find them and people fund them, yeah. you know? <laughs> uh, and that's what's just so amazing about it, you know? Um uh, yeah, but you're absolutely right. Like you gotta, they gotta be, uh, great storytellers, like captivating, but they, they need to do that and be able to execute. And, and that means they're going to be recruiting really talented people to come and work for them. They're probably going to have to sell to and close their initial customers unless they can build a product that's so good that it like sells itself. And, you know, <laughs> like, uh, like Facebook or something like that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's so much about just having that that great storytelling ability and great communication skills. Um, but we really like technical founders, I'll say. Yeah. I mean, even in our so we've a we have a I'm, as you guys probably know since we've like eaten steak and stuff together. I'm not a <laughs> vegan, uh, <laughs> but we have a vegan cheese company called Sparrow. That's really cool. Um, it's one of our consumer investments, and um, the CEO. Uh, Phaedra, she is uh, like Rachel. If she came on the podcast or something, you'd be like, mm -hmm. wow, this is a very impressive person. Yeah. Uh, so Phaedra, uh, she did, uh, I think at Cornell, she she got her degree in like biosciences and computer science. And then, crazy. And then maybe she also went to Harvard. I can't remember. I don't know. But Ivy League, you know, just easily through that. And then like worked at Facebook. And, uh, but then she, uh, always had like food allergies. So she created this vegan cheese product, but she had the foresight to rather than use like cashews and almonds, she uses sunflower seeds for it. And she has some patents on, on some of these processes that she does to make her product. But the thing about sunflower seeds and why we invested is that they grow like they're like a weed, right? Mm -hmm. They grow like a weed. That means they grow super fast. They don't require much water. And they're incredibly inexpensive compared to cashews and almonds. So not only are they better for the environment than cashews and almonds, that's great. That's going to help market the product, but mm -hmm. they cost way less. So she can literally, once she's at a little bit more scale, even right now, if she wanted to, she could drop her price and her competitors in the vegan cheese space on the shelf 
cannot drop their price to follow her and, and match her or they would be selling at a loss. Yeah. And so we're like, well, if vegan cheese is going to be a thing, we want to <laughs> bet on we want to bet on the one that has some defensible tech uh, <laughs> around a lower feedstock price and also some pretty unique packaging and marketing and stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of reasons, you know, why we invest in her. But like, yeah, she, you know, That's super she's just like she's uh, she's captivating to listen to. She recruited some some great people, a great team, and uh, and yeah, you know. That's, Vegan cheese is, is great and all. Technical founder. <laughs> you guys go in, are you guys going in on esports at all? You know what's really good? It's just regular cheese. Yeah, regular, regular cheese. cheese. cheese is good. <laughs> Too much. I'm trying. See, now it's 2021. I'm like, all right, you have less regular cheese. Although I just tried that new Papa John's stuffed crust pizza while watching the uh, college football national championship. Is it good? Oh, it's so good, but not, Man, you don't feel so good. You're not afterwards. on Twitter, are you? Are you on Twitter? <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh. On, I'm not on any social media except for LinkedIn, actually. I had beef Little Caesars what last week, so. <laughs> I just talk to people about their little companies all day. It's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you we should have gone Papa John's. Well, I had some beef with Little Caesars last week on Twitter. Uh-oh. And so, um, <laughs> we didn't get Little Caesars for the party last night. Ended up actually going to Domino's, but maybe next time we'll get the Papa John's stuffed hey. crust. So yeah. petty. Love stuffed crust. It's, <laughs> it's good. It is, man. It's, uh, it's I just like cheese. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, or, you know, before we wrap this up, if people are listening, you know, obviously our audience is predominantly oil and gas. And so we covered everything today from shapewear to vegan cheese <laughs> to, uh, GIS, you know, software. Yeah, we uh, should probably just, talk about things that are more relevant. Yeah, to no, no, this is great. We got this time. is off. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> this is off the wall. But if people are listening, you know, what's the process if they have an oil and gas startup and, you know, they're looking for early stage capital or if they have another idea outside of oil and gas that they want to pursue, when's the right time for them to reach out to Cathexis? I mean, should they start... Mm-hmm getting on your radar as soon as possible and just starting conversations? Should they wait until they have a product made? Should they wait until they have a customer? What's your answer to that? Well, like I said earlier, like very early on, like I don't have firm beliefs on like macroeconomic perspective, but when it comes to like seed stage founders and their business models, I do have some um, perspectives that, that help me kind of filter some things out. So if you're a first-time founder, the sad reality is not all business models are open to you. You need a more capital-efficient business model because as a first-time founder, it's going to be more difficult to raise capital. Mm-hmm. So I can't, if I you know went out and was a first-time founder, I can't go out and pitch SpaceX's business model. Like, hey, I'm going to build rockets and we're going to re-land them and I only need to raise a few hundred million dollars to make this happen. I mean, even Elon had to use a lot of his own money for that. Yeah. And uh, really cool that he did and succeeded at it. Um, we need more Elons in the world. Yeah. Thank you, Elon, <laughs> uh, for doing all that you do. Um, have you met Elon? I have sa- not. But I'm trying to get Elon. Elon to buy the Houston Texans because I think it would solve a lot of issues right now. If y'all follow Houston sports, that would reinvigorate <laughs> it, it the franchise. Potentially could. He's moved to gonna, Texas. I mean, come on. He needs to become an NFL owner. If you end up at a party <laughs> with an invite... I just don't take Elon as much of an NFL guy. Ugh, like I, he's got to innovate the NFL. I don't know. I just want him to buy it because it'd be cool. But like I love Elon. I'm a fanboy, <laughs> but he's kind of a nerd. I don't think he watches much yeah, NFL. What if they rebranded from the Texans to the Teslas? Mm, there you go. Maybe that was the play. I think, yeah. Go you go the, You so, go in the most like hardcore oil and gas town. You go from the, the Houston Oilers to the Houston Teslas. That just... <laughs> I mean, love people the wrong way. Loves it's energy transition, baby. Don't short their stock. <laughs> or the it Houston just... electric vehicles. <laughs> um, so, 
yeah, what we were saying, basically like if someone, if someone's going to come to us and they're a first time founder, which most of them are, um, it's probably going to need to be like a software company. Excuse me. It's going to need to be something that's very capital efficient. And if it's going to be a software company, then we want the founders to be really, really good at writing software. They should be people that have been coding for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes what we see is founders that, you know, have a good idea, but they're going to like kind of outsource that. We'll nearshore, offshore it, um, you know, use some folks in Eastern Europe or South America. Is that and just like an automatic no for you guys? It's not an automatic no if you've got a really talented CTO that's on your team. I guess okay. my main point there is like, so yeah, two things. One, like, hey, if you're a first time founder, you need a capital efficient business model. And that's probably software, but there are other models. And then number two, you need someone on your side of the fence who's 100% on your team mm-hmm. who is incredibly good at the core competency of the business, which in this case is probably software, because who's going to tell that nearshore, offshore team exactly what they need to do and check their work and make sure that it's all done right? Or when you start hiring people internally, you need that as well. There are some business models that um, don't necessarily require, you know, extremely talented software engineers, but it, those are hard to find. Cause like, even if you gain some traction and even if you do well through year one and year two, you have to continue to innovate at such a rapid pace that other people can't catch up to you. Your technical talent is your defensibility a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's, what's so tough about a, a place like Houston is that, Oftentimes, you know, it's people that don't want to take too much risk. And so, okay, if we're going to do this, I want us to raise a bunch of money and I want a decent salary before I'll take the plunge. And then, oh, well, most of our ideas involve like hardware or something that's pretty capital intensive. And then, oh, if we're doing a software company, I don't actually have that much experience in software, but we're going to hire those people. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for that reason, we've, we've passed on a lot of things, uh, in, I in think the there's Houston some, area. I think there's some interesting things there though. Like for us, we've developed a tech product. Jake and I aren't technical founders, but with the advancements of no code, we were able to build an MVP without being technical, mm-hmm. you know, using bubble.io built something that's like, we could probably launch it and get, you know, I don't know what there's the threshold is. There's a lot of big is. companies that are using it, like yeah. commercial products. I don't know what yeah. the threshold is, you know, for how many users you could have on it before you start to worry about um, breaking it. But then, have you heard of uh, a company Umbridge here in Houston? Hmm, no. So they're a uh, full-on design and dev shop backed by the Rice Brothers, and they were a former Chaotic Moon, Hypergiant, and anyways, they're based here in Houston. But they've, I mean, there's some really successful oil and gas companies, tech companies. I'm not going to mention them on the podcast, but Umbridge has built 100% of their products. And so you are seeing like, some of these design shops like that are able to, you know, they work in line with the companies. And so the companies understand the business model around, you know, around the technology, but they're not actually developing the product. So I think that there are some really interesting models around that. I mean, I tend to agree with you. Like if you're going to, if you're building a software company and you're not no. a technical founder, then like, it's, that's why I don't, that's why I don't. It's not build. always a pass, but yeah. like it's, yeah. And, and, you know, I also want to say, cause like we love the coding um, you know, nearshore, offshore teams and a lot of our startups use them. But yeah. I'm talking about like in that team of the initial like two or three people yeah. in the company, like one of them has to be- Has to understand like, something. Yeah, you gotta, 
and then, and then it's fine. Like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, we'll have this kind of this flex labor and there's so many different ways to structure it, but you need a technical expert yeah. on your side of the fence because especially in the seed stage, like you're going to be pivoting. You're going to be, you got to yeah. be able to iterate quickly and respond to your customers to figure out what works. Yeah. And so, you know, that's just, that's just a big part of it. And usually the, you know, the CEOs are pretty technical, but they'll have an even more technical person by their side because the CEO is going to have to spend their whole time. Like we talked about Running the recruiting, business. selling, yep. you know, doing those kinds of things, yep. right? Raising money. Absolutely. Hopefully pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but you know, <laughs> th- hopefully they don't have to talk to guys like us too long. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's, uh, that's why we've, we've been fortunate to get like a f- pretty good reputation, like within Y Combinator. Cause we just, we don't string people out. We never, we always want to avoid that. Yeah. Um, I've, I've made the mistake of doing it a few times where like, I thought something was a really, really interesting idea and I was trying to find a way to make it work. Yeah. There was like a, a, a beauty product type company, but it was like more like a, a hardware platform play on beauty products. And I thought it was a really interesting idea, but it was just kind of missing something. We couldn't figure out how to get the idea off the ground. And I spent all this time with the founder, uh, working on it with her, like, or just kind of brainstorming on it, even, you know, but. Uh, and, and we just couldn't quite figure it out. And then she was, she was pretty upset when I was like, look, I, I don't think we can invest in this. And I just, I felt horrible because she was of the opinion that I kind of, you know, used all this time and nothing really came out of it. And, and I was like, well, I don't want to do that again. I yeah, don't want to be a nice guy, man. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I really like, yeah, I don't want to, you know, say what the company is, but like, you know, I really think there's an interesting idea there. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't have the time or the brains or the talent to like figure out that, that perfect little fix for what's going to make it work. Yeah. But, uh, hopefully she will. And, and hopefully, and then, Hey, she'll be one of those people that circles back six months <laughs> later. And she's like, aha, see, look at how we're oh, doing. Oh, more Friday. What's up? <laughs> so I'm perfectly fine with that. Don't, don't be afraid to come back around and tell me how good you're doing. Cause I want to know when I screwed up. Come yeah. On. It's a learning <laughs> lesson for you. Right. Yeah. So if we have people that are listening and they want to get a hold of you, they want to pitch you. They can find you on LinkedIn. Is that the best place to, to find you? Yeah, LinkedIn is a good place. Uh, always, you know, connect or just direct message me on there. And then if you go to our website, you'll see that it directs you to, to LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> go to the website. Yeah, yeah. Go, go to so Mark that's, Friday. That's LinkedIn. really the best place. Cool. Yeah, just Mark Friday on LinkedIn. Some guy who works for Cathexis and right. has a picture. I need to get a new picture because I'm wearing a suit in that one. And now I never wear suits anymore, <laughs> which is also... This Dude. is why it's good to be in, in VC. Yeah. Like, the Keep suits preaching, are just man. too Keep, hard to keep, go to the dry cleaners over and over again. Keep preaching, man. I've been, <laughs> on, my, I've been on my suit rants here lately. So, <laughs> all right, dude. Well, thanks for coming on the show, man. It's super interesting. Yeah. I'm glad we finally got you on. Um, guys, yeah. if you want to reach out to him, we'll put a link to his LinkedIn in the show notes. If you're listening, leave us a five-star review Let's on Apple, Spotify, Wherever you find podcasts. Yeah, wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Cool, man. Thank Absolutely, you. man. Come, 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 come.